go. All right. Um, welcome to Zero Ambitions podcast. This week, we are speaking to Aidan Dekadem from the New Economics Foundation, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the Great Homes Upgrade campaign. And we'll also talk a little bit about the Households Declare campaign that ACAN have brought around. And it's a fun one because this is all about actually doing stuff. This is about action and this is about campaigning and this is about feeling like you are actually doing something about the mess that we're in. So on that note, <laughs> welcome to help us unpick the mess, Aiden. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Aiden, can you tell us a little bit about, um, actually, I should also say that we are here with Rachel from ACAN and Dan and Jeff as well. So we'll all be pitching in and chatting around these ideas. But yeah, Aidan, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the NEF and a bit about the Great Homes Upgrade campaign? Sure. So I'll paint a little bit of context. I'm I'm an organiser with the New Economics Foundation. And for those who don't know about NEF, it's a kind of progressive think tank that since the 1980s has been trying to rethink how our economic settlement could be more just. And actually, it was around 10 years ago that they were part of a kind of coalition of organisations that called for something called the Green New Deal after the 2008 financial crisis, which has become a kind of part of our common lexicon now um, and kind of being reborn because of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, a fantastic organiser and someone who takes action very seriously. But th- that kind of Green New Deal kind of project and also the Green New Deal as a concept has remained kind of fairly abstract as a political demand. You know, your average person on the street might not understand it. They know it's got something to do with climate, but not really understand what the demand is, like what the content is. And the polling shows that as well. And when I started as an organiser, it was to start organising around how we talk about green jobs, how we talk about a Green New Deal. And it's pr- precisely for that reason why NEF has started to focus in on retrofitting and our campaign, which we call the Great Homes Upgrade, very much because retrofitting is such a like technical term. F- for us, the process of decarbonising our housing is it's a crucial linchpin in how you move from green policies being seen as something that can take away from your quality of life. You know, the Green New Deal... Green policies, often people think, oh, you're going to take away my car, you're going to take away my meat. Retrofitting, decarbonizing housing is a kind of perfect policy because it's something that gives back, it, it improves your life. You know, it's, a, it's that kind of golden, and also it speaks to kind of class politics, that kind of golden way of whereby, you know, this is going to get rid of the scourge of cold damp. Mm. Um, this is going to make your house warmer. You know, it's going to have public health implications for the NHS because we know that cold, drafty, you know, leaky homes cause you know like serious health conditions and the pandemic has kind of exacerbated that as well um at the same time it's going to create thousands of jobs across the country it's going to stimulate local businesses it's going to you know put money back in people's pocket because once we get seeing the the, the living crisis at the moment all around kind of fuel bills like this is this is like going to have huge implications in terms of poverty so you have this kind of package of benefits and it also happens to help the climate and that's like the perfect place you want to be when you're doing these kind of big, important green infrastructure projects as being able to frame it as something that is going to drastically improve people's lives. And so that's why for us, the Great Home Upgrade needs to be framed very much in the language of what could be more levelling up Mm. than a kind of Great Homes Upgrade? What could be more building back better? What could be more and that kind of national mission to improve the well-being, public health, economies, and then also the kind of climate commitments of Britain. So we're very excited about it as the kind of way in which you talk about a Green New Deal as a practical programmatic thing that people can say okay i know what that looks like i know what that means let's go and do it so speaking about that then like what are the bones of the campaign what does it contain and how can people get involved yeah so we've got a number of policy commitments and the but i can talk a bit about the kind of roadmap of the campaign if that's useful so when it comes to like the the kind of concrete detail the kind of core things that we're asking for is a commitment to public investment on retrofitting and that that includes the, the kind of insulation measures that are necessary and the low carbon heating solutions we want there to be a sort of a national task force set up so that we can deliver area-based retrofitting and i'm going to go more into detail about what we mean by area-based because we think it's crucial that this happens through local authorities there are some tax changes that we think will be very important including on vat because at the moment retrofitting is charged for vat and we think if we reduce that we'd be able to encourage and have a stimulus to to the industry you know strengthening building regulations and then using the uk infrastructure bank as a means to cheap finance for families that want to do retrofitting but in terms of our kind of campaign roadmap for those policies it's very much been starting from a place of is this something that when you go out onto an estate and speak to people that they are demanding from their local authority no it's not mm-hmm. do people really know what retrofitting is not really before we started, Insulate Britain, you know, Insulate Britain didn't exist. Now Insulate Britain does exist. They've done a lot of work. It's really fantastic. They've put it out into the public. But that was very much along, you know, that, that was within the framework of what we wanted to do as well, right? Like 
you need to have a public demand for this stuff to happen. But in order to do that, you need to kind of build that kind of political education and public education about what this work requires. So we started by reaching out to local authorities that had done some of it. So lots of local authorities have been kind of chipping away at this and doing wonderful schemes. And we just wanted to highlight their best practice. So we reached out to a number of local authorities, different political parties involved, from you know SNP in Glasgow, Liberal Democrats in, in Cambridgeshire County, um, you know Labour councils in Bristol and Leeds, saying like, okay, they've done some, uh, you know work with their own social housing stock. Imagine if we could do this at scale. So you find out amazing stories of what happens when people write in after they've had their home brought up to EPCC standard, and they say, you know, like for the first time in my life, I don't have to decide between turning the heating on and eating at Christmas, right? You get you you hear about the the kind of apprenticeships that were created, the jobs that were created. Getting that story out there because you know we got to get the kind of comms message. The kind of second important thing about why we went with local authorities is because we think it's really crucial that the funding goes to the local authorities and they can use it to create local economies and local industry and very much kind of do community wealth building. Because if this was just done at scale through a kind of outsourced massive Carillion type organization that just tears through the country and there are no kind of jobs left over from it and there's less accountability, it's not going to have the same kind of multiplier effect. And, you know, the New Economics Foundation is really serious about making sure that when we spend public money, we do it in a way that's most socially just and builds community wealth. So, that's really important to us. And that's why we started building relationships with local authorities. And now what we're doing is moving into the phase whereby we start working with people on the ground and we've set up this toolkit so that people can start to contact their own local authorities. So their local authority might be well far ahead, might have its own retrofit task force, might be applying for the bits and pieces of grant. In that case, we'll be saying, great, let's get them to write to the government. Let's get them to write to Treasury to ask for more funding, highlighting all the good stuff they've done. Let's get them actively campaigning, saying, we want to do this work. We have to do this work. We've passed all these climate motions. We've got to do something but we don't have the funding. But there are other places where this won't have started. You know, they might have passed a climate motion. They might have one council officer, you know, mm. dedicated to doing all the climate stuff. They activists can help in that case. They can start to say, okay, well, we've got local insulators here and we've got local Friends of the Earth groups here. And how do we coordinate so that we're working with you council to try and start the process and prepare for any funding that might come down the line so that we've got all our ducks in a row so that we can do this in a way that really benefits the local authority. Mm. Um, so it's not, it's going to be piecemeal depending on where we the different councils will be at different stages. They'll have different stock. You know, where I live in Battersea, we've got big challenges because we've got them. I think it's like the second or third most um, high-rise tower blocks in the country, which means that clean energy heating solutions require different, there's a different challenge to if you've got a single yeah. terraced unit, right? But it's preparing that ground and trying to build that public demand, which is crucial to the Great Homes Upgrade and doing it in a language which speaks to uh, isn't too technical. Retrofit can get really technical, you know? This is, I think this is really, I know that the whole way Dan's just been like, yeah, I know it's such a dreadful word. And this is like a pet peeve of, <laughs> of yours, isn't it? About the fact that retrofit, what does that mean? But I think just in what you've been talking about, particularly in about building public demand, this is a, a good place to talk about households declare campaigns. So within ACAN, for anybody who doesn't know, ACAN has nine different thematic groups and one of those is existing buildings. And from the existing buildings group, the campaign called Households Declare was born. And that was about looking at the notion of cultural transformation and how we start to change the conversation and, and who we're inviting to that conversation, because ultimately architects interact with a part of the city or a part of the built environment and it, but it's not everybody it's not everyone and actually the issues of the efficiency of our housing stock and the fact that 20 percent of total uk emissions come from our housing stock was just such a big question that we thought this is not just for us this is for everybody so what's a public facing campaign cop was coming and we thought let's pen a letter to Alok Sharma and build a campaign around that where we're just saying this isn't okay and if everybody realised how complicit our housing stock was in the damage that it's doing to the planet and this, this huge quantity of carbon emissions then you know we, we've got to just at least let people know that this is happening so that they can realise that it's part of a problem and then the investigation into that campaign led to a sort of a more wide-ranging set of issues that it threw up so the campaign itself, it had a letter, we delivered it to Alok Sharma, and then we were developing what the next stage of, of work would be. Around the same time, actually, then that the Great Homes Upgrade campaign was released, that's when myself and Aiden met and, and said, look, you you guys are doing something it's kind of similar to what we're asking for. And in fact, both were very frustrated about the fact that we'd been in, in the room in meetings with lots of the same people talking about the same thing, but none of the people in the room were the people that needed to be in the room. So 
So we thought, well, look, you know, we've mentioned Insulate Britain here, but there are groups like the Radical Housing Network. There is Action for Empty Homes. There are people who've been campaigning for a, a, a shift in the VAT structure that doesn't put zero rate VAT on new build and, and such huge taxes on 20%. existing buildings. So it's already on the back foot. So the point of our campaign was to be part of that public facing discourse. But then the next step is like, okay, well, let's all pool our resources as much as possible. So the Great Homes Upgrade campaign and the Households Declare campaign are coming together to see if we can do a little bit more about this knowledge share and making that accessible to people. Because I think what's really exciting about the Great Homes Upgrade campaign is that you have got these sort of toolkits that people can say, okay, that I can do that now. I have the capacity to do that bit now. But so many people come to us and say, okay, I'm actually really interested in like my, my boilers, you know, nearly on the way out. I don't want to replace it with another fossil fuel based heating system. What can I do? And there's questions like that, but there are also questions about the fact that I'm just concerned and I don't know what to do and where do I start? So we're trying to come up with this sort of mapping resource tool that we can bring all of the voices in the room together in a place that's really user-friendly and accessible for lots of of people. So there's a sort of a centralized resource. But with that comes the importance of how we talk about this. And, And that's where I think the issue around what we talk about is an issue, particularly around the word retrofit, because it doesn't really talk about the benefits and it doesn't really talk about why it matters to all of us, which is, I think, what we're also interested to to understand a bit here. Have you come up with a better word for it yet, Dan? No, no. I mean, we've we've sort of abandoned that because it seems so embedded in the culture. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those many things onto which you can project whatever you want. So retrofit ostensibly means retrofitting anything or any sort of structure. It doesn't mean anything about energy efficiency or making lives better or people's homes. So straight off the bat, from a branding perspective, it's awful, like absolutely atrocious. But it it's the one that people are using. So we've given up on that and we're trying to think of other ways of articulating it, which look at the broader goals or benefits. Yeah, we've tinkered with comfort, but that sounds like, you know, better fitting clothes, whatever you put it with. So at the moment, we're looking at trying to do something with demand reduction, which is a broader one, but it's still a bit too high level. Like, I'm not entirely happy with it. I think I, I, think I have a term for, for the kind of botched kind of retrofit that, that you may well see from government. Boris Johnson talks a lot. Sorry for the swear jar and everything. That's going yeah, in yeah. the swear jar. I can't believe uh, Boris Johnson week. famously talks about spaffing stuff up a wall. Um, yeah. So I think spafsulate would be the term for uh, <laughs> For the Preston style, the uh, botched external insulation work, you know, it's. I have to say, it's it's really inspiring, and and I, you know, you 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 clearly have an understanding of this that I don't always expect to hear from from somebody coming at a campaign like this from without of the the nerdy rarefied space of of uh, of low energy building, and that's fantastic just to hear. Is there a sense then that because you know one of the things that we don't need, I suppose, in the world is is more of the kind of people's front of Judea versus the popular front uh, and, you know, lots of sort of people with similar, similar aims uh, getting lost in procedure and kind of not pooling their resources. There is there is some sort of an attempt to try to kind of in- engage these campaigns together insofar as that's possible. How, how might that materialize or, or you know, what, what do you expect to actually happen now? How are you talking about collaborating between the two? So, I mean, I just have to put across an interest given that there's one of me. I am very much in favor of collaboration. Um, you know, national campaigns with one organize it what could be better than having lots of teammates and organizations fighting towards the same thing i have to say you know like there there are amazing organizations doing brilliant work and i think with the us you know the usp that nef has done has tried to fit in within that existing framework right so a big shout out to juliette phillips at e3g who's been coordinating the green homes group which is doing some of that more kind of internal conversation with bays and portcullis house lobbying and things like that greenpeace has been chipping away at doing some of the investigative stuff to find out who's who's funding those articles that keep popping up in the telegraph 10 reasons why you shouldn't have a heat pump because they don't make any sense and someone's putting money behind that. So, you know, finding out which gas companies and everyone is kind of trying to pull their bit together. And I thought what's so exciting about Households Declare is that, you know, you definitely have a kind of a, a kind of audience and a group that maybe we don't. Maybe we have a bit more of a kind of activist and new economy space and you guys have the kind of industry and, and architecture and, and that's absolutely perfect. I mean, that's why I think the, the mapping exercise in which we can like find because often you find with retrofit is that there's lots of things happening but no one they're all quite siloed Mm. and the activist part really hasn't been well the kind of thinking through institutions and power has been done a lot by kind of third sector organizations and environmental organizations but less so i think with the industry organizations and i think the key to this 
because the reason why government has to step in, the reason why we're asking for a, quite a large financial stimulus is because it, this can't just be funded by the government. They have to set a framework and confidence in the market so that private finance will come in as well. But why would private finance do that at the moment? Why, why would anyone jump first when costs are high? So by the government stepping in and us doing, you know, making sure that it's socially just by doing, you know, if you're going to give public money over that social housing is the priority at the start, and then you 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 go outwards. There's a, you know, you can argue to people who you might not share the same things with otherwise, right? Because you can say, look, this is going to be very good mm. for the economy. This can be very good for private industry. They want to get involved in this. There's just no confidence in the market because you haven't set up a national task force yet. You haven't set up a national framework. They've seen all these things start and then fall again. So mm. why would they put their money in it? And if we can, if we can bring those the, the people who actually do the retrofit together and start getting them to start speaking to policymakers, then that's really crucial. And I think that's where teaming up with ACAN is going to be is going to be fantastic. I think this is right. I think actually in listening to you, it becomes really clear in my mind about what this might, what one option, what one sort of route out of this might look like. Government can't afford to pay for it all, but they need to do something. They need to show some vote of confidence in this approach. But also I think what we've recognised is, and it was something that you said, Aidan, which was like, who's bringing all these people together? Who's Where is that place? And this is what one attempt at doing that is this sort of collective open source tool that people will be able to help us build more on that later but you build it and it comes back to this notion that you talked about community wealth builds right so you know climate action won't get done to people and and i think what's important about the the retrofit one and the making your home a safer place is that that resonates with everybody if we can bring the people together in the communities where they can build up themselves and immediately see the benefits from doing those things so it's not just about putting a load of external wall insulation on a row of terraced houses it's about the community coming together and finding out what that specific place needs what's available to them what tools exist how where where do they need help who can they ask when they know where they need that help and what else then is generated out of that for that community and then you start to actually deliver something that's more sustainable that's more wide-reaching and ultimately is changing the pattern of these failed interventions by the government. Because like, let's face it, we had the Green Homes Grant handled appallingly. We know that that was terrible, (laughs) but it suited the short-termism of government thinking, and it just has done nothing but damage the Mm -hmm. industry that we're talking about trying to encourage. So by putting the tools in the hands of the people who are doing this stuff, then it becomes something that you build trust in as well, which is also really important. And so changing the way that people see it and the value that people associate with it will in part bring that along. And then hopefully the government will follow. Yeah, I think just to follow on from that, I think that relationship between the local, the local authorities, potentially the local groups and the government is quite an interesting one. And I think what I quite liked about what you were saying, Aidan, is this idea that the local authorities are the engines of the retrofit. And I think there's something here that, Kate Rayworth talks about quite a bit about the idea that maybe cities are an interesting place to try and create change from because maybe they've got more dynamism, they've got more momentum, particularly in this country, people probably would rather say what city they were from, what area they're from, rather than say their nationality, depending on what their personal sort of approach is. And and also it's all more tangible. So you feel the impacts of what happens in your local area. You feel like you're actually doing something that you can see the the knock-on effect of. Of course, at the same time, the funding has to come from national government. And there's that relationship with, you know, what are the blockers to local authorities? Do they need more powers to be able to spend money in different ways? And I think the other part that you touched on, which is probably the answer to that, is this the public will. So to drive the political will, you need to bring the public on board. And I think this is something that, you know, when we looked at campaigning to regulate embodied carbon, we started thinking about, okay, well, how do we, as you say, make this something that people care about? You've got to relate it back to their own lives, talk about the co-benefits, talk about the health and well-being side of it and all of the local jobs. And I think even just providing more information, I don't know, how do you make those steps happen as quickly as we need them to? Because that can be quite slow, right? Waiting for everyone to get on board in the public, put pressure on the MPs, for the MPs to then trickle down money to the local authorities. How do we speed that up? Yeah. Is it working what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Well, um, yeah. So so in our toolkit, we've got a, we've, we kind of go from very... Um, easy asks like you know writing a letter to your local councillor and, and, write, and writing a letter to your MP to kind of more things that are going to require more mobilization more mobilization and more action like a door knock 
you know, and, and we've we've kind of tested this and tested the scripts that we do on our door knock um, uh, where I live in Battersea. And that was really going and knocking on someone's door and framing the conversation in terms of how are your housing conditions? Are you happy with your housing conditions? Tell me what you'd like to be improved. And some people say, yeah, yeah, housing conditions are fine. Some people say, well, I, I don't like my neighbour, which isn't you know, relevant. I guess a retrofit won't solve that. But a lot of people were saying, yeah, I mean, I've got issues with damp. We've got issues with condensation, we, you know, I, you know, bills are going up, it's, it's getting very cold. Um, we, we kind of spoke to them about a scheme that was happening kind of in their own neighbourhood saying, well, down the road, the council is testing this thing, you might not have heard of it, it's called, it's retrofit, and that what that basically is, is upgrading your home so that you've got, you know, new greener technologies and insulation. Is that, is that the kind of thing you would like the council to provide more of? Is that the kind of thing you'd be interested in? Now, of course, most people say yes because it sounds good and it's a nice thing and then you can say oh fantastic all right well do you want to scan this qr code because we're trying to make sure that councils have the resources to do this because we don't want to attack the councils because you know we understand the reason the councils can't do this because they're not properly funded okay so then they add someone to the email list and we start to build groups and in a many, in a many, many ways, we're kind of starting. We're starting from scratch in the sense that there are green activists who will have done something on divestment. There are green activists who will have done something on pollution in their local neighbourhoods. Most green activists I've spoken to haven't done anything around decarbonising housing. So the first stage is like getting people to think about: okay, what are the practical things I can do in my local area to try and get this on the agenda? And we have a short time window. So, you know, the, the spring budget is coming up. We need to get it on the agenda. If you know, Conservative 2019 manifesto pledge was. 9.2 million on this. They have come not even close to spending on the, the things they promised. So all we're asking, you know, at the bare minimum is to meet their, their, their commitments on green homes. We need to start, I think, and we can talk about this a bit later, like what actions can we do? How can we ramp this up? You know, we can get people writing letters, we can get people out knocking doors, but there is also a kind of time window in which we might need to do some more kind of creative stuff. Jeff wanted to jump in. So. Well, I just wanted to, no, it's fascinating stuff. I um, was specifically interested when you're talking about getting information from individual, I guess, just just ordinary punters in their homes. Are you logging that data and trying to kind of you know produce anything anything resembling a survey uh, on on those conditions? Or on one so the one one hand is the data stuff, um, and the other hand is um, is case studies. You know, um, get, getting information to tell the story of the kinds of conditions that people are living in. I'd also love to know. I think it'd be extremely useful to to understand demographically how different kinds of people from different backgrounds, be it economic, social or whatever, you know, um, are responding to different kinds of arguments um, and, and, and who, uh, you know, which kinds of people are more likely to be more receptive to, to these arguments. You, you would hope that if, if you're building arguments to them that are more based around showing them that their home can be comfortable and, and with energy prices due to rocket now as well, again, the economic arguments, you'd hope that even the most kind of foaming at the mouth, swivel-eyed uh, climate skeptic uh, would be possible to win over. And we need those people too. We need them to be telling the story to other swivel-eyed loons, you know. Um, so Tell us what you really think, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> we, need, we need everyone. We need, you know, uh, everyone, to, everyone to engage irrespective of, of how hateful they may be, you know. Have you thought about those elements of how to try and um, ca capture data and, and understand, uh, you know, uh, and, and use it in the, in the right way? So our, our kind of brilliant comms team have been working with Neon, um, an organisation on how we frame uh, certain, and, um, and, and we've kind of sent a, a bit of a draft of it over uh, to Sarah to, have a, to kind of get a sense of like some of the things that sometimes can seem quite counterintuitive about what is good for the kind of broad public messaging. The kind of messaging we give to our activists will be different to the messaging that we give to, you know, the people that we knock on doors with, because the, the kind of Great Homes Upgrade language is often around pivoting a bit away from the green agenda and more towards the well-being agenda and the warmth agenda. Whereas often to get people who want to go and commit action, they really want to know how important this, this work is to the climate. And, you know, there, there is no path to net zero without retrofitting 19 million homes in the next 10 years. So like, it really is very important if you care about the climate to be doing this. Um, but it's, you're totally right. There have to be two different kind of languages here. When it comes to like the experience actually on the doorstep, it's, it's very, very like um, interesting. You might find interesting enough that actually some people who work in construction can sometimes be the most skeptical um, because they, you know, they've... They, you know, they've Do you think that's not so surprising? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's against their interests. It's, mm. it's difficult to get on board with something which will be perceived to be taking food out of your mouth. Mm. Mm. I, I wonder though, is it also connected to the fact that the way in which work maybe gets carried out, we talk about the performance gap a lot when you talk about how buildings behave and it's like it's not actually a good idea to just go willy-nilly around the place and chuck a load of insulation because mm. 
you might get unintended consequences and problem with problems with condensation. And if we don't do it from the right approach, which is also difficult in this sphere, we're talking about action and we're talking about urgency, but we also know that retrofit is a longer game. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of a, against the way, say, funding cycles operate. And so it's, it's a tricky one because really what you want what you want councils to be able to know is like, do you know your building stock well? And can we do a phase of just understanding them first? And everyone is like, no, we need to be doing things and installing stuff. So that's quite difficult. But I think what I was thinking about when you said, oh, well, actually people in the construction industry can be more sceptical because I think everybody who has a bit of knowledge knows that actually there's a bit of reorganization that needs to happen from within the industry to get it right. And so they maybe know that, oh, this is a bit of a difficult one. So we need to like, get that right, which is again why I'm kind of thinking the bottom-up approach is far better at this than the top-down approach, because the top-down approach just goes, what's that you said? Heat pumps. Okay, Grant. And not actually the long game. Although a fundamental issue with retrofit is that if you're going to do it at all well, it increases accountability within the industry. Like currently, you know, people carry out construction works, it's contracted out, there's a bidding process, however they're judging that, it's usually on price. And then there's a very short window for the, the bedding in process of the changes that have been made to the building. And if it's done badly, if it fails just outside of the window of feedback, done you got to suffer the consequences. And that's a massive shift, like expecting people to be responsible for their own work. Sounds like a really normal thing, but like it's a mad big shift in the industry. That will take food out of everyone's mouths. Like it'll reduce but, profit. But it doesn't have to, Dan. It, 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 there's a messaging piece on this as well. And I think the point is to say to the construction industry, look, guys, you know, um, and I, by guys, I mean non-gender specific. Um, sorry, I should say folks. Um, <laughs> like uh, said by the look, bell. You know what? always referred to them as guys. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Very good, Dan. The the point is that you can take pride in your work, right? You can can be part of an industry that is doing really good work and improving people's lives. You don't have to be this cynical and and this much of a hack. Not that everybody is, you know, of of course. But, you know, the, the point is that there are ways we have the ability to build objectively good buildings or to, to objectively improve buildings um, uh, so that people can hang around and that they can get all the word of mouth benefits and so on, you know, uh, uh, from that. So I just, I just think, I think there's a way it's, it's like when you, with a passive house, when you hear the, sto- the stories you so commonly hear about people who, when they pass the air tightness test uh, on the building, which a lot of people would be kind of scared of, there's, there's a sense of pride and excitement and achievement that people are not used to in the construction industry, you know, and, and it's, it's an achievement, which it's not just there for the architect, for instance, it's there for, it's, it's down to the, everyone down to the plumber, the plasterer, you know, the carpenter, they all contribute um, and they can all contribute to cocking it up if, uh, if, uh, if, if the right approach isn't taken. So, so there's a piece. Yeah. Sorry, technically that's not the same though. That's not right. Like that's not how it works. Like cutting corners is how it works. Yeah. So I was going to say like, I, in the context, I, maybe I should have clarified is like, Often it's to do with it's to do with trust with the local authority. So the person I've spoken to was like, I don't, as a, someone who works in construction, I don't trust the people that the local authority is going to get on board. And that again, that's kind of why I think, you know, that's why the campaign is very much trying to highlight the benefits that can come if the local authority thinks about this seriously and doesn't just outsource it to some. This has to be about how do we create really meaningful skilled jobs that local people can do where they've got the proper training and the councillors thought seriously about putting work into analysing its own stock. And, and Charlie from Red Co-op, who we've been, you know, joined our Zoom calls, and he, you know, he's adamant about this, about the, it's about understanding not just the quality of these jobs and the meaning that it can give people, um, but, but also thinking through like the, the kind of whole economy that can be generated from the local authority, which they have an interest in doing because there is a, there's going to be an able to pay market that they can tap into. You know, mm-hmm. they, the social housing and the investment that, you know, that will have to come. Like the, the question, this isn't a question of, you know, of, of, it's not whether it's going to happen. It's about when and how it's going to happen. I think that's crucial. Over the next, you know, they, they might delay it to the point whereby like we're, the world is burning, but at some point we're going to have to deal with this. And it's about making sure that we do it in, in a way in which you can generate so many benefits. And that trust point, that trust about how the local authority does this and how the local authority is prepared for this is really crucial. And that's what comes up on the doorstep sometimes, you know. 
do I want the local authority to be able to do this? The local authority has to win people's trust and we want to be part of that process. I think there's a couple of things there. And I think I, I mean, we've used the word messaging quite a lot. And, I, and what Jeff was saying earlier about there being different types of people that we're talking to in terms of sort of talking to the public. One resource that we found really interesting was a sort of group called Climate Outreach have published a report called Britain Talks Climate. And it basically goes through um, different types of people in terms of their sort of um, political views and where they might situate themselves across the political spectrum and also wider spectrums. And then what sort of messaging hits home with different types of people. So some people you might use different language with, or you might talk about more local benefits with, or you might talk about um, different topics because, and they've surveyed all these different sort of groups of people and, and sort of come up with this storytelling plan. And I think that's a really big part of campaigns is telling a story that people want to buy into and that they can get excited about. And I guess the other side of it is, as we've been talking about, how do you bring councils along? And I know a lot of the time what they want is, okay, so what can we do and how do we do it properly? How do we de-risk what we're going to try and do? And I know you've had some councils already who have done really great work in this area. And do you think there's any possibility or do you already do it where, you know, connecting people from different local authorities to uh, inspire one another and help each other along? Do you have any good examples of local authorities that are doing a good job as well? Yeah, so we've got a number of kind of case studies that we've put on our website page of the local authorities that we've kind of been in touch with and some of the work that they've done. From what I understand, officers like, and by officers, I mean the kind of civil servants who, who work in the local authorities, They many of them are going to conferences up in Manchester and preparing the ground for this, partly because of the new regulations that they see coming down the road. There's a kind of that I've noticed in local government a quick turnaround in the kind of agendas. You know, three years ago, this was not coming to housing committees or in papers. There wasn't, you know, some councils were, and they're fantastic, and many of them are the ones who have signed up to our campaign. But in lots of places, that, that wasn't happening. I mean, now you're getting to the stage whereby, you know, there really is no excuse for anyone who's doing new build, council build housing to not use green technology, to, to, that, to that not to be part and parcel of the program, whereas things that have gone through the planning stage three years ago probably wouldn't, you know, because the price of a gas boiler and the price of a heat pump is, you know, back then, or even the awareness of it. So I think officers are starting, are really kind of being dropped into this world very fast. And there are networks being created. I know UK 100 is doing work with connecting best practice, particularly between local authorities and the business sector. And, you know, you've got organisations like Letty coming up with really good guidance for, for the kind of more technical aspects, but it is going to be a steep learning curve. And I think it's really important that progressives are championing this idea of this area-based approach whereby the funding is going to local authority to start with the social housing first, prepare the market, the public funding gets spent in the, the right places before, you know, and, and also creating a way in which local authorities can, you know, gain from be able to pay market that they might be able to put local suppliers in touch with. And, you know, I, create, and yeah. I, I learned a mad thing the other week. So off the back of that white paper that we put out that Duncan published to LinkedIn the other week, we got talking to a, a, a gentleman who one of his jobs is allocating big chunks of money to stuff to get things to, to change, stimulate change. And he described a situation whereby, you know, there's millions of pounds knocking about that local councils can apply for and access. However, they don't have the administration resource mm. <laughs> in-house. So for the sake of 30 grand, like they can't access, I don't know, 500,000 to several million. Like it's preposterous. Yeah. Oh man, blew me away. Might not be news to you, but like it totally rocked me. Totally. And if you think about something like the Social Housing Decarbonisation Fund, it's really fiddly. It's got all this criteria. Much of the criteria might not meet your stock. You know, much of the rules. and So, so even the small funding pockets, which do exist, are really difficult to apply for. And are you going to allocate officer time if they've got, you know... The, Local authorities have gone through huge budget cuts over the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. They're really stretched. And that's why this kind of, if we can start organising local groups to support the setting up of task forces, to connect the local, you know, will officers have mapped out all the insulators in their own area so that they try and procure locally? Like, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we can help with. I, I Absolutely. Whilst we were talking about that, and you've, you've mentioned this a couple of times um, about the position of local authorities in all of this, it is... I feel I feel for local authorities are because they have no choice. They must meet certain climate targets and different councils have brought that forward from 2050 to 2040. And even in some cases, 2030, like that, that they don't have a choice. They've got to do that where private business maybe has a bit more time to sit on the fence, even though nobody should, because you've just got to get on with it, as you said. So I feel I feel for them and I feel for the fact that they've also had huge cuts that they don't have resource and that there are sometimes problematic 
um, historic working systems that get in the way. So I think when we're sitting here talking about campaigns and activism, that is one way that everybody can help, which is just to make the contacts with the people in the local councils and ask how whatever local activist group that you're in or whatever network, whatever professional network that you're in, where you see the opportunity within your borough to support them. And it is as simple as using LinkedIn and speaking to people and looking in your local free newspaper to see who is the councillor for the ward that you live in and sending them an email and asking, did you know about that? Like it's little bits, like everybody has the potential within them to make a a small difference or to make a connection. And that, I think it's those sorts of things that you then sort of say, well, let's try and capitalise on that and make it a more powerful tool. That that's when you sort of come together within other groups to sort of share that resource so that it isn't just one person saying, I know this really good thing. Why don't you talk to them? It's actually capture that somewhere and make it useful for lots of people. I mean, because I think moving away from that narrative about the council over there doing that thing and all of us over here doing something different, actually it's it should be part of a bigger ecosystem of, of recognizing that we all have a part and a role to play in decarbonizing our neighborhoods or in lifting our neighborhoods out of fuel poverty or in doing all those things kind of collectively. So I think, you know, that's something that people can just immediately start doing today. One thing I'd specifically say is that um, uh, so if, about five years ago, I um, campaigned to get the local authority where I lived in Learyworth down in our in southeast Dublin to make uh, it a planning requirement in the county to build to the passive house standard or equivalent for all new homes, right? It was a lot of fighting, even subsequent to it coming in from the Minister for for Housing. It was, there was a huge uproar over it. It was in, in the national press and stuff. Um, but um, the key to it for us in winning over councillors, I think, uh, there was a bunch of things that we did. But um, I think if I could identify one particular thing that I think would be really effective for using in, in other campaigning, we, um, we found... Uh, a home um, in the area with willing homeowners in a passive house. And we have organized one cold January or February evening for the councillors to come and visit them in their house. And I mean, it was, it was, it was just extraordinary hearing it from these people themselves directly. The the, the bizarre little stuff like, um, uh, I remember the, the, the homeowner talking to, uh, this is Niall Walsh talking, showing the councillors, taking jars out of, out of his cupboards, showing, look, showing them that the food was warm to the touch. The jars were kind of warm to the touch, you know, and things like that, which is, and they were giddy. They were like giddy school children, you know, the councillors at experiencing something that was so, so palpable, the benefit that how could you, how could you object? And I think that's one of the challenges that we have to face with this is that you're dealing with retrofit. You're trying to get people to understand that everything that they've been accustomed to in terms of the buildings they live in, how they live their lives, um, and the costs associated with that and so on, and the discomfort associated with that, it doesn't have to be like that. It can be different. It can be, you know, all benefit, all golden, basically. Um, and um, I, I, so, I, so I think that's an extraordinary tool. And I'd, I'd, uh, there are, for instance, um, Passive House Open Doors events that happen, you know, closer to, closer to winter. They, have, they tend to have some in the summer as well to show people how these buildings perform. That kind of thing, I think, would be a really, really effective tool to to utilize wherever possible you know i think that's massive jessup and i think you've really hit the nail on the head there and even just that story in itself without even being there that's the sort of thing that we should all be talking about i literally just put my coat on as you were talking as i sit here in my 18 degrees c tiny little flat and i and that's it i think obviously we we don't disregard the massive amount of people that live in fuel poverty and know that you know things need to change but for most of the everyday people we think that it's normal to why put mould from the corners of our rooms in December and choose between incredibly high heating bills and shivering as we work from home at our desks. And we think that that's okay. And actually, it's about selling this idea that, you know what, we don't have to put up with that. And there is a better way. And I think that story in itself does it. And then the site visit would just be addition on top. My, my line manager, his, um, his, his partner's from Finland, and she's now living with him in the UK. And she just doesn't understand why mm. people just live with cold and damp. Like he, he's like, you know, like most British people, like doesn't turn the heating on because you're worried about the cost and, you know, that kind of stoic life we all learn when we're, you know, young and renting. And, and it's just, you're just being cold is just part of like, you know, and she's, just, I come from a place where it's snow, like the snow is like six feet, feet deep. And I, I'm, why should I be cold in Britain? I come from Finland. Like why, why can't you people build houses? You know, it's it, it totally kind of like, 
mad the way that we 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 live like this and it's i think it's that that emotional story part because you know i you know if you know to be personal i the, the time in my life where i remember being like really poor when i was a kid was being cold was being like cold in bed and like hot water bottles and that not working and like two layers of socks and i think a lot of people will remember that and they know that and they it's a source of kind of shame and people shouldn't have to live like that mm. and that's the bit where where you can say you know you need to de- we sh- you can demand things can be different and it's not only it's not only that they 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 can be different they they have to be they they have to be different pandemic the pandemic respiratory disease overcrowded damp cold homes you know poor people dying of higher rates like th- this is the moment in which we sh- we should be talking very seriously about the great homes upgrade but well, we've got a situation where culturally no one cares like if you remember do you remember Ian Duncan Smith uh, weeping his way out of the gobbles and then introducing universal credit like shafting all the poor people in the country we've got a ruling class who you know Eaton Gordonston whatever you know they've lived without heating so why shouldn't everyone else um we've got a, a political class that have just let people die they don't care like how how do you like all the the activism work is built in but like how do you impact the state i th- so i think this is i might be an optimist here but the you know i think we have to be serious about who's in charge we have to be serious about power and leveraging it and making sure that we can get wins and and affect the people who 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 make the decisions that are necessary the 2019 general election created a new grouping of constituent MPs up in the north which are Tory for the first time often ever right many of those homes will be precisely the kind of cold inefficient leaky homes that we're talking about many of those constituencies are constituencies with high levels of deprivation if leveling up means anything any of the rhetoric then it means it for those places those political places and given the kind of balance of forces at the moment given what happened and i don't know when this public i can't remember when this will be broadcast but you know this week you know we've seen defections from particularly those those areas it's precisely that time when we should leverage that power and say you know you promised leveling up mm. your backbenchers said that they want they were going to do better for their constituents you know people people are not going to forget those promises and we're going to organize them and we're going to make noise until you meet even your basic own manifesto commitments you know i don't think this has to be something that we see as impossible i think it's something that the governments if the government's rhetoric means anything it should be tied to this kind of infrastructure planning mm-hmm. and you know as an organizer you have to be a perpetual optimist to be able to try and change things um, and i'm getting a lot of inspiration from jeff in ireland <laughs> who's managed to put it off <laughs> but i mean how do you apply that sort of pressure because like i sort of disagree with some of your reading of the the election like leveling up was a, a nice to have but it was carried out or rather it was presented to a public that accepted that we had a lion shyster in charge and he was never really going to deliver on his promises and we had a, a populace that voted for a party which was promising to deliver something which was never achievable and they knew it like we had a we had a sort of semi rerun of brexit amid all the other caterwauling about various issues so like there isn't actually any pressure on the government from an electoral perspective or with reference to the last election there needs to be pressure and i really wonder how we can we can manifest that and how we can turn that into something like i'm i'm still optimistic like i wouldn't be involved i wouldn't be bothering this now but yeah yeah where do we go like i don't know i, I can try and stuff we've <laughs> but, all we are trying stuff. i think this is it we've all talked about it and it's come up um thematically time and again about messaging and storytelling and it's such an easy thing to kind of throw around but actually how do you do that and how do you get on the on people's radars this notion of what's important um to to livelihoods and and what's actually what's acceptable what can you demand more for this is what you're talking about Aiden as well about like well you can you should be able to demand for more and 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 for when we're talking about the basics of like do I have to turn my heating on are my kids gonna like is their asthma gonna get worse like all those things that you that just should not be happening and people should know that the government should be providing for better conditions and that the industry has been saying for a long time but you can't you can do that should we show you how here look here this is how you do it the industry knows it the government know it on some level 
The public discourse around it is changing somewhat, like like their actions or not, Insulate Britain brought that to the forefront. And I think that's a hugely valuable legacy that they have brought in because now there are articles in mainstream press about insulation, about the comfort um, situations in people's homes that aren't tied to in- Insulate Britain. Actually, people are reporting on that as, as, as issues that are really affecting people um, on, and off the, ba- off the back of the fact that the fuel crisis is building and building and is only going to go one way. So I think there's been huge discourse around that where people are starting to recognise the importance of it and the value of it. And then you would hope that those things start to lead to actual real change and the way that people are talking about things that are important to them, which is why campaigns like the Great Homes Upgrade put tools in people's hands to say, if that's bothering you, here are some ways that you can go about making a change to deliver that. Because for too long, I think we just assume that people don't care, don't want to do anything. And that's not true. That's a, that's a, that's a rhetoric that's like bandied about by certain press outfits, I think. Actually, and I had this conversation with my father-in-law um, before, and he was like, you know, People are generally like really good and want to look out for each other and know that like better can happen. And that's why you've got mutual aid groups springing up all over the place in the depths of COVID. You know, it is there. And like if we if we put more, if we put shine a better light on that, on the stuff that is happening and show that those sorts of things are possible on that community like from that community perspective, you start to help build those stories. And then we can also look at the bigger kind of asks about how well, how do we infiltrate stuff that's happening on mass media. So TV and things like that. How can we start to sort of change that story around there? And it comes back to like the notions around the value of a house as not being just something to like sit on as a nest egg, but actually how comfortable is your home? How healthy is your home? How much does that lead and bleed into other parts of your life? I think. I think just touching on that, and it's probably a massive subject to bring up as we probably should be drawing to a close, but (laughs) let's just go for it anyway. I think the media has a massive role to play and us as activists in pushing them. I mean, I was incredibly frustrated by watching BBC Breakfast one morning when they were talking about all the options that uh, could be used to lower our fuel bills. And they talked about reducing VAT. They talked about taking away green levies and never mentioned insulation. Mm. And all of the things that they're talking about that would potentially temporarily reduce fuel fuel bills are things that allow fuel to stay at a high price, allow um, demand to stay high and create this perpetual cycle of more demand, more high prices, more cuts. Whereas actually we need to the media to be saying like, this is the solution. And I know people want a solution that can happen right this second. So let's take VAT off right now and it will it will impact everyone's bills right this second. But you know what? Most of the time what happens is nothing gets done and we just mess around yeah. the edges. You've got to reduce the demand. You've got to reduce the demand. And it's so simple, but it's not being talked about on mainstream media anywhere near to the extent that I, I think I have the solution. So I think, and Sarah, okay. you can get your square jar out again, okay? Oh, oh, um, oh no. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I think I think Boris Johnson's going to ride out this, uh, this storm. So I think what you need to do is somebody needs to have a quiet word in the ear of Lord Brownlow and get him to chuck another few tens of thousands of pounds uh, discreetly at Boris Johnson and Carrie, uh, and uh, to do a, to take the wall. Oh no, Jeff! Oh, we've just lost Jeff. Oh, Was he about no, to suggest no. that we retrofit uh, Ten Downing Street? And, and then and then have a yeah, Jeff, and then have, then have then have a Sunday supplement in the in the Telegraph or whatever with 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 Boris Johnson and Carrie talking about how wonderful the experience has been. You know, Jeff, well, well, you well, Jeff a bit. Jeff. But were you suggesting that we retrofit Ten Downing Street? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with backhanders, yeah. I am so glad you've said that because that is the public action I think we should all do before the spring budget. I think all the activists, all the industry, I think we should go to number 10 and stand outside and offer to insulate number 10 down the street with hard hats, with banners, with professional... (laughs) Because if we want to get into the mainstream media, we're going to need some good photos like that. So I think that is a fantastic idea, which we have been actually drafting a Google Drive document about planning it. So... um, Yeah, let's do it. I think I'm totally on board for this. Just make sure you include your £200 square meter roll in your wallpaper as well. And I mean, we're not going to be causing any inconvenience. If anything, we're going to be causing convenience. So, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll be saving saving money in the long run, you know? Yeah. I mean, that is great. So, on actions and, and things that people can do next, obviously, head over to the Great Homes Upgrade website read around it, get involved there. Um, Same with the Households Declare website. There's also going to be 
opportunity to get involved in the collaboration between both groups and both websites when and when we get our resource around to actually updating the data on there you can find out how to get involved in that we'll try and put some stuff in the show notes for the podcast as well so that you can read about that and about that direct action that um i has suggested which is a great one and were there other things we were going to talk about about how to get involved i don't know just do something just do something people These things give me optimism and hope as well. I think we absolutely need to just have the conversations, you know, revolution starts in the home. So like talk to people about it and see how they're feeling about it. I think that's what's really good about what you talked about, the kind of doorstep doorstep interviews and just feeling people out and seeing what they need. Find common ground. Yeah, it's such a common sense policy that I think we can build a big coalition around it. Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. We've got to find somewhere to, to make a breakthrough. Mm. well that'll be our 10 dining street we'll give you the date and the time yeah. <laughs> everybody come along we'll have a we'll have an insulation party thank you so much Aiden for coming on and talking to us it was um it's left me with a warm fuzzy feeling for this cold Friday evening <laughs> oh me too but I've got me back to the radiator yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually um I'm in a low energy apartment so I'm I'm only renting it but uh, it's yeah we, we don't really have energy costs to speak of for heating so um yeah sorry <laughs> I have single glazing. I'm freezing. Sometimes oh. on Zoom calls, people can see my breath, which I think oh. is important because it gives me drive to win. Yeah. Because um, I'm <laughs> well, living with the Yeah, <laughs> I saw you reality. sign a T-shirt for yeah. half this. Uh, that half was just session. bravado. That was just yeah. bravado. <laughs> <laughs> He'd just done a few laps in the house to warm himself up. Yeah. Yeah, As you can see, I did not make it through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I literally have to take my kids outside. I have to go outside in the morning um, or check the app on the phone to know uh, whether the kids are properly dressed. Um, <laughs> for the weather, you know. Well, that's the dream, isn't it? That's yeah. the dream. Um, yeah. Thanks again, and yeah, we'll 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 pick up on this again. I think we we do say this. Like we'll come back and we'll talk about it again. But there is progress to be monitored here and to see how this is getting on. So we will pick this up again soon. But fantastic um, pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm.